If you happen to be in need of a new t-shirt, hoodie, sticker, journal, or magnet, and want to help support this podcast, why not kill two birds with one stone and visit our official merch store? Check out the ever-growing selection of designs inspired by Japanese history at ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com. Thank you for your support. Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 4, Episode 14, Tohoku Troubles. When she was a child of five, Empress Inoue had served as Saiyo of Ise Shrine, a position which involved performing the same rituals as the emperor as a kind of representative to Amaterasu. When her brother Prince Asaka died of beriberi, or was poisoned by Fujiwara Nakamaro, she was dismissed from the position and returned to the capital, where she became quite the political animal. Her support for her husband's reign had been critical, and we believe that it was through her influence that her son, Prince Osabe, was named as the heir. However, times were changing in the late Nara period. Having adopted certain aspects of Chinese culture, many of the Kuge had also begun to adopt Chinese attitudes toward women. At any other point in Japanese history, this might have been overcome, but the reign of Empress Shotoku was fresh in the minds of the nobles, and made them wary and suspicious of politically powerful women. In April of 772, a little over a year after the death of Fujiwara Nagate, Empress Inoue was accused of cursing her husband, the Tenno, and, after a lengthy investigation proved her guilt in July, she was stripped of court rank and title, and Crown Prince Osabe was likewise removed from succession and demoted to the rank of commoner. He was around 11 at the time. The two of them were banished from Heijou-kyo and sent to live under house arrest in a confiscated property south of the capital. Neither would ever return to the halls of power. What are we to make of this incident? The Latin phrase qui bono is commonly employed in a situation like this. Who benefits? That being said, it's important to recognize that the people who benefit from a situation are not always the primary movers thereof. Often plans go awry, or those who weren't involved find ways to take credit. Nevertheless, let's start with the winners of this incident. I don't think there's any way that Fujiwara Yoshitsugu wasn't involved in this incident. The most powerful man in the court may have finally succumbed to the concerns of his fellow Kuge, which he doubtless shared, that a sudden death of the sovereign could set up an unfavorable situation in which Empress Inoue would hold the throne for her son and possibly engage in the same sort of unpredictable shenanigans as Empress Shotoku. The person who benefited the most from this, and many historians agree that he at least had a hand in this affair, was Prince Yamabe, 
who was still seen by many nobles as the perfect candidate for the throne. Young, but not too young. Popular, but not too popular. The peninsular origins of his mother seem to have been the primary misgivings which the Kuge shared when elevating his father to the throne above him, but they appear to have found a way to get over their prejudices and work with what they had. In 773, Prince Yamabe was named as the official crown prince and heir to the throne of Emperor Konin. Two years later, Empress Inoue, now Princess Inoue, and her son Prince Osabe both died suddenly on the same day, and it is generally accepted that they were probably poisoned. Hopefully you realize that, in spite of their deaths, this is not the last we will hear of Princess Inoue and Prince Osabe, whose restless spirits would take the blame for several disasters yet to come. The scandal of 772 often overshadows the fact that in May of that year, word came to the capital that Do-kyo had passed away. There are many folk tales that sprung up around the final two years of his life, most claiming that he spent that time in raucous pleasure-seeking and worldly living. Most of these stories were recorded long after the troublesome monk's death and have rather extraordinary details, leading most researchers to conclude that they are not trustworthy. If I had to guess, I would assume he spent his last two years languishing in obscure exile perhaps earning some extra coin with the occasional divination. We turn our focus now to the eastern frontier, specifically to Tohoku, where the Amishi people continued to defy the Nara court and live their hunting-gathering lifestyles without regard to things like rice cultivation or court tribute. At least, that is the portrayal which the indigenous people receive in the Nihon Shoki and other official sources. The fact is that the court had diplomatic relationships with many of the various Amishi tribes, and had even occasionally hosted them at the capital and accepted tribute from their chieftains. Some of the Amishi leaders had been awarded regional office and court rank. While conflicts had erupted occasionally, the general policy the court adopted toward their hunter-gatherer neighbors had been to bring them gradually into their circle of political influence and steadily build new fortifications deeper into their territory as allied Amishi tribes requested help against their non-aligned enemies. This is not terribly different in character from long-term strategies adopted by the Roman Empire during their expansion hundreds of years before. The court's continued obsession with subjugating the barbarians on their periphery was likely fueled by both the desire for military conquest in general and a deep appreciation of Chinese history. The aristocracy was steeped in the annals of the Han, Zhou, and Shang dynasties, as well as the general narrative of their rise to power and noble struggle with their inferior neighbors. The conflicts that periodically arose against the Amishi were rarely worthwhile for the government in the big picture, but still they pursued subjugation for both its own sake 
and in the hope that if they emulated the mighty dynasties they read about in the histories of long ago, then they might also be known as a great and mighty empire. The trouble began, this time, in 774, just one year before the untimely deaths of Empress Inoue and Prince Osabe. There were two large problems which the government had in the east. One was that the Kanto was underpopulated, and thus much of its fertile plains were not being utilized for cultivation. There was little benefit for the average person to move to the Kanto who did not already live there, and those who did already live there were fairly independent-minded and unlikely to feel any sense of debt toward the Nara court. The Kanto people in the Nara period were a mixture of Yamato Japanese and indigenous groups, and while the so-called Amishi there had taken up rice farming and abandoned their old ways, there was almost certainly a sense of alienation from the faraway capital filled with Kuge who always wanted to collect tribute but never seemed to do anything that benefited the freeholders there. The other problem in the East, of course, was the persistently independent Amishi tribes of Tohoku, who insisted on supplementing what little farming they performed with hunting and gathering while paying little to no tribute and periodically raiding farms and settlements in the Kanto during times of want. Seeking to solve both problems at once, the government attempted to implement a policy called Ihai, which was forced relocation of Tohoku barbarians to the Kanto, as well as dispersing them to other areas throughout Honshu, Kyushu, and Shikoku. The Shoku Nihongi records several incidents of forced relocation of small bands of Tohoku Emishi in 725 and 738, the latter of which may have been an attempt at reinvigorating local workforces in the Kansai after the smallpox epidemic. However, in 770, a chieftain of one of the bands of Emishi was defeated in battle and fled into the safety of the north. Then, in 774, the Amishi assembled into several large armies and began coordinated attacks against the garrisoned forts, which resulted in humiliating defeats for the Japanese defenders. In 776, Taga Fortress, considered the largest and most secure in the region, was burned to the ground and its defenders scattered to the winds. The imperial army in this period was composed of mixed units, which generally included a variety of fighters. Archers were a staple of any army, and the imperial archers were armed not only with bows and arrows, but also utilized a shield that was just large enough to squat behind for cover during battle. The army would also have spearmen, light cavalry armed with bows, and a mysterious siege weapon called an oyumi. Literally, large bow in Japanese, the oyumi was probably somewhat similar to the ballista of Western Europe, though later sources claim that it could fire several arrows and other projectiles at once. Unfortunately, we don't know enough about the device to describe it, or understand it in any great detail. The Amishi forces, however, were mostly bow-armed light cavalry who fought in relatively small numbers 
and relied on guerrilla tactics like hit-and-run ambushes. On paper, it would seem like the Imperial armies have all the advantages— multiple troop types, logistical support from a centralized government, and much larger numbers. And yet, while the Imperial armies did win battles against the Amishi on occasion, they were defeated at least as often as they triumphed. What can account for the relatively poor showing on the part of the Yamato troops? The answer is multifaceted, but it basically comes down to this. The Japanese government did not yet have a regular army of any kind, relying instead upon conscripts who were expected to provide their own equipment, which was often inherited, and poor quality. They received minimal training, and their commander's primary source of inspiration was Chinese strategy books, which primarily revolved around pitched set-piece battles. The Amishi, meanwhile, lived a lifestyle which kept them constantly prepared for battle. When someone must rely on their horse archery skills to provide them with food, they tend to become very skilled with its use. One description of the Amishi claims that they would wear their hair in a top knot and stick three or four arrows into that top knot for quick access. As this description comes from a source sympathetic to the Yamato government, it's impossible to verify, but it is obviously meant to convey that the Amishi were always ready for a fight. In addition to their lethality with a bow and arrow, their hit-and-run tactics were devastatingly effective against their stand-in-formation-and-fight enemies. In 776, a kuge named Otomo Surugamaro was named Shinjufu Shogun, and a massive army was levied by the government, allegedly numbering 20,000 soldiers. This tops the previous record army of 17,000 raised during the rebellion of Fujiwara Hirotsugu back in 740. This army was sent specifically to engage a group known as the Shiwa Amishi. What happened next was nothing short of an unmitigated disaster. As they marched deep into enemy territory searching for their foe, the Shiwa Amishi warbands found them first. Ambushes erupted periodically, killing large numbers of imperial troops before they even had a chance to respond, and then faded into the forests and hills, killing any who were careless enough to pursue. As the army eventually regrouped and decided to withdraw, they were harassed and ambushed continually in bold, swift attacks, which even took the life of Shogun Otomo Surugamaro. The court and Emperor Konin were frustrated by these setbacks, but also reluctant to invest more resources in the short term. The Amishi incursions were not part of a long-term conquest on the part of the indigenous people, and it's estimated that the largest single army among them was probably around 3,000 fighters. They were also not without their own internal struggles, and the tribal nature of their groups meant that coordination was short-term and usually reactionary. In 780, a large group of Amishi invaded the Sendai Plain, located in the southern half of Mutsu Province, which is today part of Miyagi Prefecture, and raided with abandon, raising villages and pillaging farmsteads in a show of force that sent the local authorities 
into a panic. The court seemed reluctant to raise another large army at this point, however, given both the risk of humiliation in battle and the growing crisis of the conscription system. You may recall from episode 1 that some free commoners chose to become part of lower castes in order to avoid tax tribute and potentially benefit from being made to serve a powerful Kuge household. The conscription system was yet another policy which commoners sought to escape by any means necessary. Draft dodging and desertion were both common problems which the court could do little to punish. However, losing an entire family member to conscription was such a devastating and unaffordable event for a family that the common saying arose among the masses that is translated roughly as, when a family member is conscripted, the family is ruined. In February of 781, Princess Noto, the first daughter of Emperor Kokin, passed away. He seems to have borne her death very hard, as his own mental stability suffered in the ensuing months. However, the disastrous battles against the Amishi, as well as the death of his precious daughter, were seen by many at court as signs that the ghosts of the late Empress Inoue and Prince Osabe were avenging themselves upon the emperor who had exiled them. It seems likely that it was both the loss of a beloved child, as well as immense guilt over the wrongful deaths of his family members, that weighed heavily on his heart in 781. In May of that year, a mere three months after his daughter had died, Emperor Konin abdicated the throne. He had ruled for a little over ten years. Next time, we'll discuss the elevation of Crown Prince Yamabe as he ascends the Chrysanthemum throne in the midst of a disastrous war in the east which was about to get much, much worse. Until then, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at A History of Japan, visit the online store ahistoryofjapan.threadless.com, and find us on the web ahistoryofjapan.com. (laughs) 